Last week, if you were here, um, we started to look at the fact that being a disciple of Jesus is not an optional extra for those really committed to following Jesus, but actually what Jesus calls us to is to follow him and to learn from him, to follow him, to put into practice what he teaches us, that is being a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, let's see if this works, Jill. It worked before, didn't it? No. It always works when no one's here. <laughs> yeah, just try. I'll just keep going. We'll see if it comes up. Otherwise, you can just go through them for me. Um, so we looked at the fact that we're all being discipled by something. We're all learning. We're learning from somebody. We're learning from things. We are shaping who we are. Um, and that is happening to all of us all the time. Yeah, that's, that's me going crazy. You see, yeah. <laughs> if we'd had it last week, you would have seen my good visual aids. But, um. Perfect, there we go. So we're all being discipled by something and somebody, but are we, as followers of Jesus, determining that we are going to be discipled by Jesus, that Jesus is going to be our teacher and that our discipleship to him will mean obedience in our life? Um, we looked at the fact that there's a cost to discipleship, um, but if you remember, the conclusion we came to was that the cost is worth it, that really, when we weigh up, what we give up for Jesus, for what we gain, it's, we'd say, a no-brainer. There's no... Um, we can't logically convince ourselves that it's better not to follow Jesus. Um, so we looked at that discipleship, the cost of discipleship, and the fact it's worth it. And finally, we said that we have to choose. It has to be a choice for us. And we looked at the passage from Joshua where he says, you know, I lay before you life and death, make this choice. If it's too hard for you and you want to continue to follow the ways of the world and the ways of the people around you, then you're free. Go do that. But if you want to choose life and you want to follow Jesus, then state today that that's what you want to do. And it's so important for us to make those commitments um, for those around us, but even for ourselves, <laughs> that when things get difficult we can go back and go, no, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. This is a decision we've made, and this is what we are going to stick to and what we're going to outwork in our lives. So today, we're going to go a bit further on this topic, and we are going to look at what this really means um, for us. If we're determined to be disciples of Jesus, what does that mean that we should be focusing on? So, when we think about being a disciple of Jesus, we can think um, and look, as we did a little bit last week, at some of the disciples in the Bible, and we can consider how Jesus himself lived and how the disciples lived, and we can think, how can we live up to that? We can look at our lives and reflect and think, there is a disconnect um, between what I see in the Bible and then what... Um, 
what I live and what my life looks like. So as we did last week, we've got some Bible passages to read. So if you'd like to um, read some of these for us, then um, do volunteer, because it's great to hear some different voices. Um, So let's start with this passage. Who wants to kick us off with reading this for us? Go on, Julie. So this is from John 14, what Jesus says to us. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in in the Son. Amen. Amen. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. Um, Truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do. And he goes on to talk about the fact that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be their helper. So when Jesus considers us as his disciples, he says, look at me, learn from me, copy me, outwork what I've taught you, And actually, what's going to happen is even greater. Um, Which I don't know about you, but for me, that's a bit overwhelming. (laughs) I look at Jesus and think, wow, he did some pretty awesome things. (laughs) Some pretty um, mind-blowing things. Um, Some pretty perfect things. (laughs) Um, And how do I compare to that? How, I mean... There's really no comparison if I, <laughs> if I look at that and I can go, oh, wow, Jesus was the perfect human. He was God um, himself. And Jesus is encouraging us that we are called to do as he did and to do even more. So it's easy for us to dismiss these words, I think, um, and kind of rule ourselves out of... Um, of really seeing this happen in our lives? Um, Do we really, truly believe that there's going to be greater things happening today than when Jesus was here? And um, there's a quote from um, a book called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. And I think this gets to the heart, um, heart of what... Oh, sorry, someone's phone going off. (laughs) Is it your phone? nice background music, but (laughs) don't worry. Thank you. Um, Yes, I just want to read this quote to us. So as we we think about um, how intent we are on following Jesus and how if we really want God to change us and we really want to be used by him, this quote really struck me. If you will hear stop and ask yourself, why you are not as virtuous as the early Christians were, your own heart will tell you that it is neither through ignorance nor inability, but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. So I'll read that again. If you will hear, stop, and ask yourself why you are not as virtuous as the early Christians were, your own heart will tell you that it is neither through ignorance nor inability, but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I thought, 
Wow. What a challenge. All of these promises of Jesus are here. This promise that his Holy Spirit can work through us, can transform us, can bring his kingdom to earth, that by the way that we love one another, people will know who God is. All these amazing things that God says about us as his disciples. And we want to see them, and we'll say we want to see them, but have we really intended and committed in our hearts for that to be the case? Have we put into practice the things that need to be done in our life to see this come to fruition? Have we put ourselves in a place where we want to submit and be obedient to the teaching of Jesus so that all the promises and the wonderful outworkings come about? And so much of it is about our intention. And so just as we go through these few weeks looking at discipleship, one of the things that we really as a leadership want to encourage us as a people is that we are intent on following Jesus, that it becomes a decision, it becomes a positioning of our hearts and our lives that we are here to follow Jesus. And that means submission, that means obedience, that means learning from him, that means allowing the Holy Spirit work in us. And over these next two weeks, we're going to look a little bit more at how we can intend and how we can be deliberate about being his disciples. I'm just going to pause for a moment and think each of us about our intentions. If we're Jesus' disciples and we want to follow him, are we prepared and committed? Are we intending that our life will be a life submitted to him? Let's just take a moment of silence. It's good for us to stop and to think. On a Sunday morning or when you're listening to to, um, preachers and teaching on YouTube or different places, we can get so much information. But God cares about our heart. He wants a response from us. He doesn't want us just to learn more and hear more. um, But he wants us to turn towards him. And that takes daily, hourly, minute by minute intention of us to say, Jesus, we are your disciples and we want to live lives submitted to you. It goes back to the verse that Helen was sharing. Be still and know that I am God. If we're really still and we know that he is God, that demands a response from us. If we are still in the presence of the almighty God, what is our response? Often in those times, I don't know about you, but in those times of worship or quiet reflection, God can pinpoint something in our lives that he wants us to work on. When we find ourselves in his presence, suddenly our inadequacies, our sin that we're holding on to, (laughs) he can highlight that and say, look, here I am, you're with me, let's do some work 
on that stubborn bit of you that you haven't quite given up yet, or that thing that you just keep going back to. Um, I'm here. Let's work on that. So as we think about life as a disciple of Jesus, um, going back to the, the passage that we read um, in Matthew last week, um, in Matthew 7, it said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. So as we think about this passage and we think about discipleship of Jesus, it's very easy in this passage to think, okay, I need to be producing good fruit. In this passage, Jesus is saying, I need to be producing good fruit, not bad fruit. If I'm not producing good fruit, people won't know I'm a disciple of Jesus. Um, but really, in this passage in Matthew, Jesus is not teaching us to concentrate on the fruit to concentrate on what people can see, to concentrate um, on what is being produced, Jesus is teaching us to be good trees. Then if we're a good tree, guess what? We'll produce good fruit. If we're a bad tree, what are we going to produce? <coughs> Sorry? Rotten fruit. <laughs> yeah, let's get graphic. Yeah. <coughs> We can't be a bad tree and then just put on the outward appearances of doing the right thing. But so much of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount um, and when it came to the end at in that passage in Matthew 7 is that he's saying, you need to be a good tree that produces good fruit. So the focus of our discipleship should not be about producing good fruit doing the right thing. It's not about us um, yeah, doing the right thing that's acceptable, doing the Christian thing, working hard to do the things that Jesus teaches us we should be doing. That hopefully will be a product. That will be an outworking of our following Jesus. It's also not about just knowing the right thing. It's very easy when we think about discipleship, if you think about new Christians, um, right, we need to teach them everything they need to know. And we need to teach them um, what to do, what not to do. We need to teach them the work, right, what teachings of Jesus, etc., etc. And all of that is true, <laughs> we do, but not for the purpose of knowledge. That quote that we just read earlier, it's not for lack of knowledge that we're not transformed. <laughs> It's a lack of intention and allowing that knowledge and that teaching and that word of God to transform us. Um, we can know it. You know, we all know that we, shouldn't, um, we should bless those who curse us. But when someone goes out and gossips about us and you hear about it, what's your emotional reaction? <laughs> we know what we should do. We've got the right knowledge. If anyone says to you, you know, should you murder? I think we'd all go, no. 
we shouldn't murder. But then when Jesus says, even if you hate somebody, even if you're thinking about someone in that way, somebody that God's created... <laughs> don't worry thank you um yeah we know you know it's important for us to learn but it's important jewish learning wasn't just a, a head knowledge jewish learning was a learning a knowing an outworking i see by your life what you know you don't have to tell me <laughs> what you know, but the way that you live, your attitude, the outworking of it, tells me what you know, tells me what you believe in. So it's not focused just on doing the right thing. It's not focused on just knowing the right thing and having the knowledge. Um, it's not focused on being involved in church and being visible and an active member of the church. All of these are really good things, um, but they shouldn't be our primary focus. They should be the fruit of what we do. And finally, the last one there is, um, it's not about seeking supernatural experiences, um, emotional experiences with God. Again, those are wonderful, precious times, but that's not what we're seeking in our discipleship. That is a fruit of us being in obedience and God blessing us with his presence and his Holy Spirit coming upon us, working in us, working through us, it's an outworking of our submission to Jesus. So if this is what we don't focus on in our discipleship, then what do we focus on? So there's two areas that I think if we focus on these two things in our life as followers of Jesus, then um, we will become those people who are hearers of the word and doers, not just those that hear the word and it falls away. But to be Jesus' disciples, um, the two things that we need to focus on. Firstly, Jesus says this as the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. To understand who God is, to be captivated by God as the maker of heaven and earth, the almighty God. If we spend our lives devoted to knowing God, then we're going to see the fruit outwork in our lives. And the second thing that we need to focus on is the crucifying of our sinful nature. And so we're going to look at those two things over these next two weeks. Um, but the how do we remove the automatic responses that we have in our lives that are against the kingdom of God? And how do we find ourselves responding in a way that is Christ-like. Um, so we're going to put that one to one side and look at that next week. Um, so it's a plug to come back next week. Um, if you want to know how to crucify your sinful nature, it's a uh, yeah, good thing for us to know. <laughs> um, but this week, we're going to focus on loving God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. Karen, can I ask you to read? Um, I know you have an affinity for this passage. <laughs> <laughs> 
Psalm 1, verses 1 to 4. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So here in Psalm 1, we see this image um, of a disciple. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Here we see the psalmist, David, delighting in God. At the time when um, he was writing this, the, the Bible was just um, the, the first few books of the Bible, which they called the law, and it was what, ex, what, um, what they used to connect with God, what they knew, used to see who God was, what they used to know what God was instructing them to do. And it's where he found his delight um, in God, in God's word. Um, so if we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, we need to be those who delight in God and in God's word. And if we think about God, um, I want us to think in, um, in three ways of, how, um, of what we can focus on to help us understand and know God. So first of all, um, God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth. Yahweh. The God that we learned about when um, Nita and others did the series on, on the character and the nature of God. Um, the God that we see in the Old Testament, the God that we sung so much about this morning, about who is this God that we worship. So in our discipleship, we need to be those who are intentionally putting God in front of us so that we might delight in him, that we might fall in love with him, that we might love him with our soul, mind, and soul, mind, and heart. This quote helps us to think about that. Love is born of an earnest consideration of the object loved. Love is born of an earnest consideration of the object loved. If we're going to love God with our everything, we need to consider who he is. What makes him lovable? Why does Jesus call us as the greatest command to love God with everything that we have? And so, yeah, I want to challenge us. Like, are we putting God in front of us to, for us to consider, for us to understand, for us to know his character, that our response is to love him with everything? And so if we think about that as the God of creation... Sometimes it blows my mind um, 
thinking about infinity. I uh, famously, in a physics lesson at school, told the teacher to be quiet when they were teaching about the solar system because my logical brain couldn't cope with the fact that eternity goes on and on and infinity goes on and on. And um, I said, I think we've learned quite enough about this now. Can we move on to the next topic? Um, and um, amazingly, I didn't get told off. I think they just <laughs> were so shocked <laughs> at what I was saying. But, you know, we need to blow our minds. We can make God so small in our thinking and so um, manageable and understandable. But actually, he is beyond <laughs> our comprehension. We sang songs about him being, um, all those long words in the song that Chris did, <laughs> incomparable, uncomparable. <laughs> um, there's just so much about God. And how much do we know as individuals about who God is? Um, if we glimpsed just some of who he is, our response would be obedience. <laughs> our response would be submission. Um, if the God who created the universe, who created this infinite solar system that my human brain can't comprehend, um, is calling me to follow him and submit, then wow, <laughs> I'm going to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, the first aspect of us considering God, of putting God in our consideration for us to love him, is to consider God as the God of the universe, the almighty God, um, Yahweh. The second aspect of God for us to consider to help us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength is God in the image of Jesus. Jesus representing the fullness of God to us in a person. Since the beginning of time, God has wanted to be in relationship with his people. In the Garden of Eden, he loved Adam and Eve, and they walked in that relationship. And then we know what happened with the fall and the separation from God. But ever since then, the Bible tells us the story of God having covenant, bringing redemption to that relationship with his people. We were made to be in relationship with him, and the fullness of that was Jesus. Um, with his life on earth. So when we see um, and we want to fall in love with God with our whole being, we need to look at Jesus as that fullness of God brought to us in humanity. And the third piece that we need to consider if we're looking at understanding God and, and loving God with everything we are is God at work in us. God created me. God has a plan for me. If I don't believe that God's goodness to me is unlimited, then am I going to submit to him? If I don't believe that God's um, wisdom is unbounding and that his guidance that he brings to me is beyond anything and that he's been at work in me and thought about me since the beginning of time, Am I going to fall in love with him? So there's those three aspects that I think help us to understand and look at our submission and love to God. God the creator, God the almighty, God as Jesus, Jesus representing and being the fullness of God to us. And then God through his Holy Spirit working 
in us and my belief that he wants the best for me. He cares about me. He created me, that I matter. If we just think about God the Almighty and we just think about Jesus, our God, it can feel removed from us. And it can, they can just be something out there for us to worship. But the story of God and his people is that he loves us and that he wants to be in our lives. He wants to let us know that his intentions to us are good and that he is our creator. I think the challenge as we journey on this um, discipleship journey and we submit to God is that we often focus on looking at God in only one of those three ways. We can either submit to this God, this awesome, out there God, who we um, submit to. Or we can look at the person of Jesus and, and in a way make God quite attainable um, and make God smaller in some ways. Um, but Jesus is, is, is like any other friend who's giving me advice, who's, who I can follow. Um, and if we just look at God as what we've experienced of God, then that's only a few aspects of God. That's not the fullness of him. And actually, I may know God as my healer, as we shared this morning, and we've shared testimony before, like God is my healer, but he's also my Lord. <laughs> I may know God as my friend, but he is also God Almighty. I may know God as, as my loving father, but he's also God my judge. And we can't separate those things. And so for us to love God with our mind, soul, spirit, strength, everything that we have, we need to be considering the fullness of who God is. And so we need to say, how, as disciples of Jesus, can we do that? How can we consider? How can we put God as the object of our affection? How can we delight in God? How can we dwell on him? How can we look on him? so that we know him. And as we've said in the, the biblical understanding of know is not a head knowledge, no, but it's a I know, I believe this, therefore my life lives it out. Um, how can we know God? So I just want you to take a moment. Think about those three areas. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. God, Jesus, our saviour. And then the God who we know and see in our life. Which one of those, when you think of God, do you focus on more? Which lens are you looking at God through? So just take a moment, reflect for yourself, think. When you think of God, even when you share God with other people, which lens are you looking at God through? God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. God, Jesus, our saviour. Or God as he's revealed himself to you and you've seen at work in your life. Which one of those is your default or your natural way of considering God? And as you think about that, how this week could you consider those other aspects of God? If your default way of considering God is looking at the person of Jesus, 
amazing. But how can you, this week, put God the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, in front of you so that you can consider him in the fullness of his character as Almighty God? If you, yeah, if you hold on to God as your friend because he's been there for you in those tough times, how can you this week intentionally look at the person of Jesus and consider God in the person of Jesus to help you fall in love with God even more? And this isn't a, a one Sunday talk and a one week activity. This is a lifelong devotion of knowing God. If we're going to be people that are obedient and submit to Jesus and do what he calls us to do and we see fruit in our lives, we need to be those who are utterly captivated by the God that we serve. Utterly convinced that he is the one true living God, the awesome, unrivaled, Almighty God. And there's many practical ways we can do this, and we're going to consider that more next week. Um, The Bible is obviously an amazing place for us to start um, studying his word. God reveals himself to us. Um, If you're scared of the Old Testament and you find comfort in reading the Gospels and you find that easy, then, um, yeah, Study a book in the Old Testament. Gemma and I have been going through some of the smaller um, books of the prophets. Um, that often, if you do a Bible reading in a year, you might just skip past. Um, I don't think I've ever stopped and really studied Nahum, for example. Um, but through reading Micah, and then we came to the end of Micah, and it just went into Nahum. We read <laughs> Nahum as well. And um, it's revealing to us more of who God is. Who is this awesome God? When it says in Exodus that he is slow to anger, unless we understand that the rest of the gods of the time were angry and volatile, and actually our God, Yahweh, is slow to anger. His immediate response is grace, compassion, mercy. He is slow to anger. We don't see the richness of God's character unless we study um, the word of God. So, Yeah, there's so much um, in here that can help us to place God in front of us and so that we can look upon him and we can fall more in love with him. If you've never read a gospel um, from chapter one to the end, (laughs) read it. Read it like a book you would read anything else um, and read through the life of Jesus. Get immersed in what Jesus was like. How is, what is God like? Let me look at Jesus and see. If you've never considered the universe and its awesome, mind-blowingly, unlogical, <laughs> illogical way um, of going on forever, focus on that this week and go, wow, God, you are so big that you create this infinite space that can't even contain you. Show me something of who you are. So this week, my challenge to us is to look at God from a different perspective. Whatever our default position is, let's challenge ourselves 
to open our minds to place God in our consideration that we might be those who love him with all that we are and that we submit. And as I said, this is a lifelong devotion. Fortunately, God is more amazing than we can imagine. We will never get fed up of learning. We will never get to the end of what we can learn about God because he is awesome. And if we commit to understanding and knowing God, he commits to drawing close to us, revealing himself to us, that we might be his people and he might be our God. So, Father, as we come to the end of our time together this morning, we want to be a people that love you with all that we are. We want to be a people that know you. And to know you takes our intention. It doesn't happen by accident. We can have a wonderful encounter with you, God, but that isn't fully knowing you. That's meeting you. But we want to be people that know who you are. So help us to put you as the object of our affection, to put you as the one that we gaze upon, to put you in our in our consciousness, in our unconsciousness, that we might dwell on who you are, the fullness of God the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the revelation of God, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, and then God, by your Holy Spirit, at work in us. Lord, help us to see more of who you are, that we might, our natural response might be submission, to you, and that as we draw close to you, we become like you. Thank you that by your spirit, you make this possible. You just want our heart, you want our intention, you want our devotion, but it's by your power and your miracles that we get transformed into your likeness. So help us in our weakness, help us in our unfaithfulness when you are faithful. Help us in our (coughs) laziness, in our lethargy. God, challenge us that we might turn to you, that we might gaze upon your face, that we might know you with our mind, heart, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.